Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Derek Brown. Derek Brown is one of the... It's weird to talk about. Derek Brown is like a as a drink guy. That's, he drinks alcohol. No, no, he he owns a bunch of bars that are really good. And he I don't know if the right term is mixologist or bartender or, or beverage director, whatever. It doesn't matter. He owns and operates some of the best bars in Washington D.C. And this was not originally going to be a podcast. This was just to be for my day job at British Junk Things. But our conversation was good enough that I I think it warrants hearing the whole thing. So Derek Brown's a great guy. And uh, I really like that. Maybe I only think he's a great guy because he gives me booze, and I like booze, but it doesn't matter. What matters is this conversation is worth listening to, and I'm very glad that he took the time to talk to me. Without further ado, here's Derek Brown and I and everything and nothing. I've never seen you drunk. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And, yeah. But you can't be drunk in public. Yeah. It would probably be like a sin for what you do. Do you ever worry about that? Um yeah, you know, I thought I think about this a lot. Well, one thing I think about, and it's and, and again, this is pretty unrelated to the the library at all. But um, in my profession, we do have to hold a standard. Uh, I have never, and I can say this a hundred percent truth: I've never drunk drive, good driven and good. drunk driven in my whole life. Um, and because of that very reason, well, earlier I just didn't do it because it was drilled into me as a kid, which is sure. kind of beautiful. Yeah, yeah. As, as as scary as some of these organizations have become. Um, that was good that they taught kids that. And then there was a point where I was like, hell, I've never, dr- I've never done it. Why would I do it now? Sure. And yeah. so, and especially now I know representing uh, organizations like DC Public Library and the National Archives that there, there's nothing I should do yeah. um, to compromise their, what they do, which is really beautiful and awesome because I decided to be an, uh, a dick one day. So, um, so yes, I've certainly never been drunk. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I have. But but the thing is that like in general, um, I comport myself in a way that I would like to see others do. Sure. And so when people drink in bars and they lose their frame of reference, they lose their their ability just to be kind to the bartender and each other yeah. and thoughtful about the way they interact with each other. It's just shameful because that's not what alcohol does. Um, the best of what alcohol can do is bring people together, absolutely, have great conversations, um, you know, fall in love. Uh, yeah. You know, make us feel, feel a little better in times of, mm-hmm. of difficulty, but but the last thing it should be used for is to as an excuse for stupid, violent, and reckless behavior. Obviously, <laughs> no one's going to disagree with that. That being said, yeah. um, you and I—I I hope I'm assuming you are—I'm a very happy drunk when I am. Yeah. Drunk. <laughs> I'm the guy that's like everyone. Let's hang out. Let's just celebrate life. But you don't always know that until you're a little older, I'd say. Right. Did right. you ever worry about that? That you'd be a sad drunk. Or a sad person that happened to be drinking. You see what I mean? Yeah, and you know, I've certainly had my moments in life where, where drinking and and being somewhere, I, I've done stupid things. I'm not without. Oh, everyone thing. has. Yeah. Here's the thing I, I'll say about it. Um, Michael Phelps is a tremendous swimmer, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that for most people, they think the reason he's a tremendous swimmer is because he's worked really hard to become a tremendous swimmer, which is partly true. Absolutely. The other part of it is that he has a specific body type. He has a specific mental picture, like sort of psychology that has lent himself to be this great mm-hmm. swimmer, right? Sure. Like there's something about the length of his arms and the shape of his body. It just makes him better than other swimmers, right? Mm-hmm. Plus the training and he's perfect. Um, I try to describe myself in the same way. Okay. Um, not as a great swimmer, but as a great drinker. That there's okay. something about my particular way of processing alcohol, of thinking about it, of my relationship to it, that have always been uh, healthy and decent interchange. That I've never felt, 
I, it, like I said, it's not that I've not, not done stupid things. I've been 21 before. Absolutely. You know? um, but, but that generally the way that I drink and the way that I think about drinking is pretty positive and open and, and I'm not willing to take risks in most cases, yeah. Well, I think because of what you do, you have to think about that stuff. And I don't think the majority of people that do drink anything think about why they're drinking the thing that they're drinking. Right. Well, I think if you, if you saw somebody out there who was um, talking about the history of alcohol and mm -hmm. drinking and how fun it can be and how exciting and, and there's a discovery aspect to it, and then all of a sudden they were they were doing this something reckless or terrible like I mean take away their license like absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> to talk about it that's not fair but when I mean, did you doesn't mean we're all perfect when did you start thinking about it this way mm -hmm. I mean what did you go to school for I'm assuming you went to college yeah I went to college um, I I, uh, I went to school for anthropology so that very it makes sense of, to do to have that degree to do what you're doing now so perfect for it actually in a weird way it is yeah. i don't know if you're being sarcastic at all no there's this great um book actually by um these two uh anthropologists named edgerton and mcandrews i think i might be wrong in mcandrewism it's been a while since i've read it um it's called drunken comportment okay and in it they do a cross-cultural survey of um, alcohol throughout um the world and the way that people behave under the influence of alcohol and what they come to the conclusion is is that many of the things that we assign to alcohol are really not inherent in alcohol. Like, it's not, alcohol doesn't cause us to be licentious. It doesn't cause us to be violent, per se. It doesn't cause us to be, um, another one that's common in our culture is truth-telling, right? You get drunk, you're like, oh, I gotta tell you something. Sure. I never liked you, man. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But now I do, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. just this, like, this need to confess when we're, we're drinking. So, so they talk about these, these different ideas that we have their cultural components that are actually shaped by culture. It doesn't mean that alcohol doesn't have some sort of, um, doesn't lend to that in some way. It just means that it's not inherent, you know. So um, it's interesting to see that alcohol becomes sort of a prism that people define um, bad behavior through that doesn't really belong to alcohol itself. So there's another um, anthropologist, um, who talks about this, I, uh, his name is Dwight Heath. Um, and he is one of the foremost researchers of alcohol and anthropology. And he talks about this idea called my myopia theory. Um, and it, what it, is, it says is alcohol doesn't really um, disinhibit you, or at least in the sense where, like, there is certain aspects of that, but not in the sense of, like, oh, I'm drunk, I'm going to put on lampshade. Like, mm -hmm. it happens every time, I can't stop myself. Yeah. Um, but he says what it does is it makes you myopic, that it makes you forget about externalities. It makes you forget about the world right? yeah. outside of you, and you're more you know, connected within this conversation, this moment. So if you're at a baseball game or a football game and you're drunk, you're most more likely to cheer with the crowd and get rowdy and, and loud. And if you're at a bar and you're the only one at the same level of intoxication, at the end of the bar and there's a sad country song, you're drinking beer, you're probably gonna be sad, right? It just intensifies. And, and isolates your experience a little bit. Yeah. Which is a theory, but it's an interesting one. And I love I that kind of described it. Yeah. I completely agree with that theory. Right. Um, why do you keep... This is sort of related. Each one of your places makes the, the patron feel a little bit different. Uh -huh. Why do you keep opening places? Why do you... And I mean, the fact that we're in Columbia Room right now. Right. There are two different bars in one space. Right. Why do this? I know yeah. it's a big question, but your other bar is like, there's a giant glass window. It's like, come on in. You can see us. Right. And here, you're hidden in an alley, and there's a giant wall. 
Yeah. Why are you doing this? Like, why create different spaces? Yeah, well, this one, uh, this also relates back to anthropology. I mean, in general, I create different spaces because they're different facets of my facets of my interest. You know, like, mm -hmm. I'm just, they're different interests. And so I go through it, and I, I'm excited about sharing. I'm excited about local seafood and oysters and, and how that pairs with drinking. So, so I think uh, I just get obsessed. I'm, I'm sort of a reluctant cereal bar owner in a way. Like, I didn't really set out to be a cereal bar owner. Really? And now that I am, I certainly, like, wish I could go back and help. No, just kidding. I mean, certainly, <laughs> I, it's tough. It's a tough business, but I, I love it. Um, but it's hard. The Columbia Room was a, an idea in some ways derived from anthropology, the way it's set up. Um, and this is a little bit of extra insight into it because I don't think most people would ever ask me this question. Uh, why is it so hidden? Because it's become a thing, right? Yeah. And they've gotten used to it, like uh, speakeasies. Um, this is not a speakeasy, any stretch of the imagination, you know. But um, there's this idea in anthropology called the axis mundi, right? Okay. And it's a universal throughout um, all sort of mythology. And it's this singular sort of entryway into multiple dimensions, right? So you can see it pictured in the form uh, in, in uh, ancient mythology as a tree or as a cave in some cases, but it's a place that you enter through and you have access to multiple dimensions, right? Um, in Christian mythology, in Judeo-Christian mythology, it's sometimes represented as, you know, heaven, hell, and, and, and earth. Um, in maybe, because that's sometimes hard for us to remove ourselves from our immediate um, mythological uh, sort of ideas. Um, in in uh, Greek mythology, think of it like going through to Hades, you know, or something like that, going through down this cave to Hades. Um, and sometimes it's in a mountain, and there's different forms of it. But, but the idea is that you have to go through something to get to a special place. And if Columbia Room is anything for us, it's a Columbia Room is anything to us, it's a special place. And so we want people to kind of go through that journey, you know? And I, it's not a way to trick people, um, it's a way to enhance their experience. So when they get here, it feels like they've done something already to get here, which I think is really cool. Um, I like that, and it, it reminds me of the first time I went to like a tea cer ceremony in Japan. You okay. know, like going through a special door and then having all these like unique kind of like rituals around it that I didn't know. Um, that just blew my mind. I was so excited by stuff like that, and I wanted to bring it into a cocktail bar and and. Oh, Another Japanese thing is when I was in Japan, you would go to these um, high-rise buildings that are like five on the fifth floor. You would go up and there was a cocktail bar, and it looked like you were going to somebody's dentist office, right? Like the building was that kind of building, and you'd go up it, and all of a sudden you'd open a door and it'd be this awesome bar, and that just blew my mind. And I knew there was something about that process that changed the way we behave within the bar. Um, and so I would say the Columbia Room also offers sort of strong behavioral cues. Um, towards enjoyment, towards refinement, towards hopefully taking away the things uh, that would distract you from that moment. You know? Sure, sure. So I was going to also mention how I think alcohol um, is a wonderful technology for um, for connecting to other people. You know, uh, if if it's used without um, uh, you know without bad intentions or, or, or overuse, then it can become a wonderful way to sit down and connect with somebody. And so in that way, myopia theory, like it shows how that works, Yeah. right? How all of a sudden, like, let's say that you're talking with a friend of yours and they're having a hard time. And they might even be having a hard time expressing themselves. 
um, because we don't always know what to say, especially when we're going through difficult times. Sitting down, hey, let's have a drink, let's talk about it. Yeah. It's just such a great moment and an opportunity and a technology that helps us to do that. It's not perfect, but it works. Um, that, is, that is a gorgeous answer. <laughs> it makes the world a wonderful place. Speaking of a wonderful place, you transformed one of your bars into like a Christmas Mecca for about oh, yeah. 45 days. Yeah. It was December 1st, and it was supposed to be done, I think, on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. And then due to demand, it was like, what, mid-January? Yeah, were? we opened for, I think, it it's crazy. the 12 days of Christmas. Like yeah. It was open until a certain point. Um, and, yeah, it, wow, that was like the... I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that okay, uh, so in my life. <laughs> not, okay, so I was there on the day one. I was like, this is cute. This yeah. is going to satisfy a certain amount of people. Yeah. I thought you'd be busy, but not like lines around the block on a Tuesday busy. Yeah, three-hour lines. That's crazy. Every night. Um, How did the people in the bar behave differently due to the atmosphere than it, than it did in November and October? Right. Well, some people would come in, order a drink, and barely even touch the drink. They, in a weird way, they thought, "Oh, that's just the price of admission." Um, really, which was funny to me because that's not why I go to a bar at all. No, um, but it made me uh, it made me think about what it become it had become, um, and I think it's tied to another thing that we've lost, um, and maybe that's good or bad. I don't know, but the mall. When when I was young, when it was Christmas time, we'd go to the mall. Right, and they'd be like the de- decorations, and we'd stare at them, and you know that was sort of a locus for community in a in a weird way, um, and so I don't know if people have that. People want to during certain times of the year, they want to connect to people, and they want to be around their friends and family, and sometimes strangers who are doing the same thing they're doing. Um, that's not unusual at all. Again, tying back to anthropology, that's that's very common. Um, so what we didn't realize we were opening is that, yeah. you know, what we do, we just wanted to do something fun. It was sure. fun for us. It was a cool idea. Um, and then it turned into this thing that was about people getting together and like being together. And uh, that's where they wanted to be because it was Christmas, because it was Hanukkah, because we had whatever they celebrated. Uh, people who didn't even seem to care about Christmas still wanted to be there. Um, and they just came together, and I was like, "Well, this harkens back to these old, you know, the way people behave by going to a, a, a mall or something like that." Um, and that's cool. Like it's maybe those cool. spaces are lost, um, and they're re- or, or not lost because I don't think anybody minds that malls are being destroyed. Really, no, I, I don't think you're incorrect, but I do think that you were at this special time in a place because it was really before the election took over the entire year's conversation. That's right. <laughs> and for the duration of 2016, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, and that's okay. That happens every four years, and in a weird way, it's kind of nice that regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, you could kind of contribute to a conversation with whomever. Yes, and you could do that in a Christmas theme bar for forty-five <laughs> days as well. What are you going to talk about in September of twenty fifteen? There's no common thing. That's right. That being said, one of the things that was great about the place and a lot of your places is like there's a theme there's an idea behind it right but the things the reason why most people can't connect is because of our phones clearly right. have you ever considered asking to like make your bars a dead spot yeah i you know it's funny because i probably have a controversial philosophy of uh, or ideas around the phones i don't i don't mind phones at all and i don't okay. mind people's um connection to their phones i do see that some some cases can be negative and, and impact a person's relationship and those are should be negotiated between those people but um we are humans um that are really evolved 
to be in groups of theoretically uh, 80 to 90 people. Um, and we live in cities where we have 600,000, 650,000 people in D.C., I think, something like that, in an uh, area of 7 million people. Um, and that's just maddening. Like, trying to negotiate that, I, I actually take great pity on human beings. Like, how can you live in that? It's scary. It's frustrating. It's angry. And the stress is palpable and real. And we have a device that somebody's created that is... Uh, sort of uh, like a, makes us a cyborg in a way. Like it adds to our ability to connect and socialize with a larger group of people. Now, that's the way I look at it. And I, don't, I know that that's controversial. I know that some people would argue that it really takes away from an interpersonal thing. But I take a lot of pity on humans and the things that they use to try to adapt with a society that's so far beyond what we really evolved to be in. You know. <laughs> How often do you think you're pessimistic? Um, only about dirty martinis. No, just kidding. Um, well, you know, lately I've been pessimistic waking up to CNN every morning. I Why? love CNN. I just can't, I can't stand one more piece of coverage about a certain candidate. <laughs> You're out of luck, man. I just, I just want them to go. I just want one morning I want to wake up and see something different. That's all. I don't you even think. Your channel. Yeah. But I, you know, I grew up with CNN, so it's like the first all news all the time channel and you just you gotta grow out of certain things man yeah you can't whatever uh, that's, that's completely your <laughs> no thing. but no i feel i do feel pessimistic um towards i think politics right now but um but i'm at uh in dc so i i see a and you're here too we well, see wait. a little bit of a different thing we know that absolutely a, a but here's the difference i didn't get here until 2010 okay you were here during bush yeah are you worried about business changing for better or worse with a different type of candidate or different type of president? Even it doesn't matter what side you're on. Oh yeah, that's that's exactly right. I um, if I was to take away my own political perspective, which mm -hmm. I, you know I'm in D.C., so I'm pretty diplomatic about these things anyway. But if I was to take away my political perspective um, and just do it by who I think will increase business, yeah, um, going out to bars, um, bringing in a crowd of uh, of people. It would be something that similar to Obama in that sense, because Obama, yeah, whatever you agree, disagree or don't like about his politics, he was incredibly good for DC's dining scene because he was very supportive of it. And and I shouldn't say Obama, because in a weird way, we're ascribing it to a man that probably had little to do with it. It really had to do with uh, his uh, with first lady, uh, the social staff, um, all the great staff that works in the White House, um, that they go out. Oh yeah, and they eat and they drink and they are in the city. Yeah, um, and it is true. Where is uh, Bush? His team was not as active. Well, some of them were though, and 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 we loved that. In the Columbia Room, we welcome everybody, regardless of their perspective. But uh, and we had many people from from um, Bush's White House. But um, but generally, I've seen with Obama an increase in um, dining and. Maybe it just corresponds to D.C.'s particular time in history, but it is palpable. It seems I, like it can't just be that. Right. It seems like it kind of demands, like, you know, for better or worse, he's the coach of the city. Yeah. And certain people are attracted to that, and they happen to be maybe younger. Yeah. And maybe are dinks, and they could yeah. just go out more, and they want to do that, versus, isn't it like 40, 60, 60, 40 uh, staff in the city for Democrats versus Republicans, just period? 
Isn't Wait, what is it? Sixty percent of the staff live in DC and forty in the suburbs, and then it's reversed for it when it's a geo. It's oh yeah, that's probably right. Something yeah. like that. It's not better or worse; it's just different. Yeah. So if you're in an Alexandria business, you're probably rooting for a Republican <laughs> simply for that boost. <laughs> that's I mean, there's nothing good or bad about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just simple economics, and 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 so for that reason, and I was very lucky. I was invited to make drinks at the White House. We've got to know many of the staff members well. And um, would you make? Um, well, I made a, a range of drinks, actually. I created a special drink just for the White House uh, in 2009 called the Robert Frost Cocktail. Um, that's with uh, bourbon, white port, um, Amontillado sherry, and orange bitters. We serve it here, and now we've done a little tweak on it here at the Columbia Room where we've um, filtered through sugar maple charcoal, which is the same process they do with Tennessee whiskey. And it's so good. It's really delicious, yeah. What do you drink at home? I don't drink that often. Apple juice. Lots of apple what juice. What kind? Uh, Mots. Why Mots over... I think it's just available. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, like, I mean, maybe you, I should I should have answered like, oh, it's organic, no, it's no, local, but I don't... Um, and then I, I split it 60-40, not anything relation, related to the... Understood. 60-40 so, uh, water. So, so it's 60% no apple juice, 40% water. Yeah. No, no ice, though. Uh-huh. And um, me and my son, who's 17 months, we drink it all the time. Uh, much to his mother's chagrin, who's always like, it's just sugar! And I'm like, no, it's delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> what, do you, what do you hope for him? What do I hope for him? Yeah. Do you want him to go in the family business, or is it just like... No, I don't care about that at all. I think that... Um, you don't care about that because you're like one of the few guys that do this that got to serve drinks in the White House. <laughs> yeah. Most most people that do what you do, it's not that level. And yeah, they would say, enough. no, get, do not be part of this industry. Right. No, I think, you know, my only hope for him is that he could develop his best qualities. You know, I don't, it, it, I, I never think about what he would be, although I'm heavily um, pushing guitar lessons on him. At the age of 17 months, he can already strum. Can he? So, yeah, so maybe rock star. No, just kidding. Um, he's also pretty good at throwing the ball, so baseball. Or, or, or I think baseball or, or, or rock musician, either one would be fun with me. That's delightful. <laughs> We're good.